Come on, bro. You're going to kill it. Thank you. What's up, North Central? How are you guys feeling today? You made it through one full week. Come on, give it up for yourselves one time. Let's go. Hey, as Dr. Graham said, my name is Terry Parkman. I am the next-gen pastor at River Valley Church, and it is an absolute honor to be here with you guys today. Uh, I send regards from my wife, Christina, and my daughter, Avalie. I believe we have a picture that we could put up on the screen. There they are. Absolutely amazing. My wife and I have been married for uh, 16 years. 16 years coming up in December. I dated that girl for four years, all right? And I ain't talking like Bible college, she said wait till I graduate kind of things. I'm talking like her parents didn't like me for four years kind of thing. That's what it was. Like, you ever see the movie Meet the Parents? That was my life. That movie was not even funny. You know what I'm saying? When, when we got engaged, her mom said, hey, I know you're engaged at all, but have you ever heard of eHarmony? Maybe you want to go look on there. No lie. No lie. So you better believe that when I put a ring on that finger, I looked right at her parents. I'm like, what's up now? That happened. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? And then, and then we uh, adopted our daughter, Avali, from China. She is amazing. She is beautiful. She is my little Asian sensation. I love her to death. She is, she is like uh, our ray of sunshine mixed with a Category 5 hurricane. Like, that's, that's Avali. She is a force of nature, and I love her to death. And currently, we are in the process of adopting child number two in the next couple months from China. That's what's up. So we're really excited, and, and there was a moment when we were adopting our little girl from China, uh, adopting Avalie from China, that stands out to me. We had already gotten her in our arms, and we had to go through the court processes for the next couple weeks. And so the, they put us up in a hotel right across the street from a Starbucks in Beijing, okay? God is good. So every single day, my wife said, Terry, get yourself up and go get me some coffee. I said, yes, dear. So I went on down to the Starbucks, and I walk in, and there's all these Chinese teenagers and they're like, oh, it's an American. You want an Americano, huh? And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, actually, I do. Please, grande. That would be awesome. So I walk out of there. And as I'm walking out, this guy rolls up on me. And he says, hey, do you want to buy some drugs? He looks like this Chinese drug dealer right beside me. And I'm holding two coffees. I'm like, no, man. I, uh, do, you, do you want Jesus? <laughs> you know, I literally said that. And he's like, no, I don't want Jesus. I'm like, I don't want drugs. Bye. And I took off. Didn't even think, and leading up to that moment, I was like, God, give me an opportunity to witness to somebody in China, because obviously we have a heart for Asia, okay? Um, we've, we, we've, we've committed to it, so we have a heart for Asia, and because of that, we are, we are like so invested, so I'm like, God, give me a chance to witness, but I know it's illegal to proselytize, to witness in the streets, so I really want to really be careful, but I want a chance, and there's this dude dealing me drugs, and he says he don't want Jesus, and I just cut him loose, and so the next day, I go to Starbucks, walk out, same guy walks up on me. He's like, hey, you want drugs? I'm like, you asked me yesterday. He goes, you're an American. All Americans take drugs. I'm like, no, we don't. We don't take drugs. What are you talking about? He's like, do you want drugs? I'm like, no, but I would love to talk to you about Jesus. He's like, Jesus is illegal. There's cops over there. I'll go tell him like, so are drugs, bro. Let's go. And he leaves and he walks the other way. Walks the other way. And so, uh, we're in China for about, we're, we're, I, I didn't see him again after that. I kept going to the same Starbucks, didn't see him around. The dude looked like a Tito, so I call him Tito. Tito, the Chinese drug dealer. So he's, so, I don't know. So we're, we're, I'm, I'm sitting around, I'm thinking about this guy, I'm praying about him, and we're in a city of like 14 million people. And I was like, all right, I probably won't ever see him again. 
Towards the end of our time, they take us to this tea shop that is an hour drive through the same city of 14 million people on the other side of the city. So we drive an hour onto the other side of the city through 14 million people. And as I'm walking into this tea shop, there's the same drug dealer. Same guy, okay? Same guy. All right, I, I know, I know I can tell Chinese people apart. All right, same guy, okay? Totally. And so as I'm walking up, he's like, hey, I'm like, yo, I told you. My wife goes in. I said, I don't want any drugs. And there's cops right here. There's like six police officers right here. And he's like, no, 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 no. And he starts crying. And he said, my grandmother is a Christian. And she said that God is after me. And one day he will send somebody unexpected my way. And I said, God, if you are real, it was insane. God, if you are real, let me meet that guy who likes Americanos. And so uh, so I look, and I look over at the police, and I look at this guy, and the Holy Spirit's convicting me, and I'm like, all right, man, let's pray quick and quiet, because nobody likes to pray loud and long in China. So we're, so we're sitting there, and we pray, and I say amen. And I'm, I, I expect to get tased at this moment, right? I'm like, in Jesus' name, amen, you know, and I'm out. And I say amen, and he says amen, and I look over, and all six police officers had their head bows praying the prayer, and they look up, and they all said amen as well. Come on. I don't know. I know what God did in my friend's life. I don't know what God did in those uh, officers' life. But what I do know is if I'm going to run my mouth and I'm going to say, God, use me, then whenever he gives me an opportunity, I better step up. I better step up. I better take hold of that call, and I better step out in faith. And so many of us, we live in a generation that we have access to, and to so many things. I mean, this is the world's greatest generation of leaders. Researchers say it's the most entrepreneurial generation, the most innovative generation, and might I say the best-looking generation of young people. Come on. How many of you can get down with that? It's true. Back in my day, kids were ugly. I don't know what happened. I don't know. There is no awkward stage anymore. Like, there's none. I was super awkward until I was like 23. So, like, you guys, kids were ugly in my day. You, you know what it's like. You look at your parents' like yearbook, you're like, oh, I feel so sorry for you. You need, like, retro prayer to fix that so you're better today. But you guys have a great opportunity in front of you to lead. And what God is asking us to say as believers is to put your money where your mouth is. If you're going to be an individual that runs your mouth about the ministry you're going to do in the church or in the marketplace, then the day God gives you the opportunity, you got to pick up that call and you got to step out in faith and watch God move in your life and in the world around you. Amen? And there's nobody in the Bible that I believe really exemplifies that like Elisha. Okay, not Elijah, but like Elisha. See, Elisha was a guy that had this I got next mentality. He was the assistant to the prophet, the man, Elijah. And so here he is in the I got next season of his life. And many of you are in that I got next season of your life. I got next. I'm about to step up. I'm about to do something great. I'm just waiting for my moment. I'm just waiting for my opportunity. I'm, I got next. And here's Elisha. And he's got next because Elijah is the man. Elijah is the prophet. Elijah was considered one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. There was nobody on the horizon who even came close to his level of boldness and godliness. In the Bible, some theologians say he did a, he did a total of seven major miracles in his lifetime. Seven major miracles in his lifetime. And with nobody on the horizon, a lot of people thought that after he was gone, it was all downhill from there. Nobody after him. So like I said, he takes an intern 
Elisha. What's up to all my interns in the place today, okay? He takes an intern named Elisha. And Elisha's job is pretty straightforward. It was to carry his bags. It was to cook his meals. It was to assist him in ministry and basically play second fiddle. And towards the end of Elijah's time on earth, God said that he was going to take him alive. And three times as Elijah is going from one place to the next, he turns around to his assistant, to his intern, Elisha, and he says, hold up, don't follow me, stay here. And then as he's telling him that, Elisha's like, no, 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 I did not iron your clothes for that long. I did not make your meals for that long. I did not pick up your socks for this long to get nothing and to wait as you go step into something amazing. I'm following you. And so here he is following Elijah from place to place to place. And finally, they get to the Jordan River, and Elijah takes off his cloak, he takes off his mantle, and he hits the water and it parts, and they walk through on dry ground to the other side. And this is what happens. It's found in the Bible, 2 Kings 2, 9-14. And it says, And when they came to the other side of the river, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elisha replied, but if you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. And as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by the horses of fire. As it drove between the two men, talking, I'm sorry, as it drove between the two men, separating them, and Elisha was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And they disappeared. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Then Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, that same cloak that hit the water that separated the waters, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the river divided, and Elisha went across. In that moment, When Elisha is following Elijah from place to place to place to place, when he's pursuing the call of God, when he's staying in his lane, when he's going after his anointing, Elijah says, what do you want me to do for you? And it's the same question that God is asking every single one of you, not just this school year, not just when you graduate, not just when you get your first job, but God will ask this question of you in every major season of your life. And the way you answer God means everything. It means absolutely everything. And today, today you have to make a pre-decision about what you're going to say to God in in that moment. When God says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you say? You see, the very first thing that Elisha did was he stepped up in this moment. He didn't say, oh, gee, sir, gee, uh, Mr. Elijah, if I can just be like you, maybe just a little bit like you, if I could be a shadow of what you are, oh, sir, I would be so happy. No, 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 no. He didn't say, man, I love those seven miracles, and can I do six maybe? Can I do six miracles? Okay, can I do a a miracle? Can I just smell a miracle somewhere? That would be good. That would be good. No, 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 no. He didn't ask Elijah to be like him. He wasn't about the comparison game. Elijah was not his ceiling. God's call was his ceiling. And so he's looking at Elijah, and he's saying, Elijah, I love you and all. You're awesome and all, but you ain't enough for me. I serve a God that's even bigger than you, and I didn't follow you this long to be like you. I want twice what you have. And the reality of that statement isn't that he's being braggadocious. It's not that he's trying to be the man. It's not that he's full of pride. But one thing that Elisha had was he knew what he was worth. And you got to know what you're worth if you're going to step out into the call of God. 
Look, this is not a college message. This is a life message, y'all. You got to make a decision in your day, in your time, to step out and run after everything that God has for you. Because what's the alternative? To half step through this life in the call of God and maybe get half of what God has for you? Yo, I want it all. The grace, the gifting, the love, the power of God is unlimited. It's almost like, we pray almost like, almost like if your mom baked you a jar of cookies, your favorite cookie, right? Think of that cookie. Mm, okay, your mom bakes you this jar of cookies, and it's a magical jar, and this jar has unlimited cookies, and she makes it, she, she's like, you can eat as many cookies as you want, there's no calories, because there's no calories in the kingdom, right, and so you can eat as many cookies as you want, some of y'all, that's going to preach, don't get a tattoo of that, there's better stuff later, I promise, so, and they say, this, this, there's no calories in the kingdom, eat as many as you want, here's the jar, I love you, and you're like, mom, mom, can I just have a cookie, please? And she's like, you can have a jar of cookies. It's unlimited. Here you go, mom, mom, just can I, can I, can I have a crumb of a cookie? She's like, what is wrong with you, kid? Ma, can I lick a cookie? You know, I mean, it's like, and she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm giving you something unlimited. And in the same way, when God gives you a call, the very first thing we do is we try to compare it to something limited around us. And that's what Elijah was. He was a limited version of Elisha's call. And Elisha didn't tie his next step to Elijah. He didn't compare himself. Kind of like some of us. We compare ourselves to those around us. We're a generation that says we want to rewrite the story. We say we want to live out our destinies. We want to blaze our own trails. So what do we do? We compare. We go on Instagram and see how other people have done it. And I'm here to tell you today, stop comparing. Pastors, stop comparing. Leaders, stop comparing. Professors, stop comparing. You were not created in the image of anybody else. You were not created in the image of a Justin or a Kanye or a Drake. You were not created in the image of a Chad or a Carl or a Chris or some other church famous person that stands on a platform. You were created in the image of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So run after what he has for you. And that's what Elisha did. He ran after it because he was not satisfied with the level of those around him. I remember when I first got saved, I got saved when I was a 10th grader. I was a sophomore in high school. And I remember looking around at me and I was saying, God, I want to be just like these strong Christians in my youth group. And God said, Terry, I don't want you to be like them. I want you to ask me for more. Not because I want you to be better, but because I don't want you to limit yourself. And when I started doing that, I said, God, I want more. I want more of what you have. I want more of what you got for me. When I, would, when I would commit to that, when I would be obedient, and when I would make sacrifices, and then when I would get to that level, God would say, cool, you're at the level. Now ask me for more. Now ask me for more. Now ask me for more. Some of y'all are about to be content when you're the best person in your class or the best person in your field, and God's saying, I'm not content. I want more, and I want you pursuing me more. And that's exactly what Elisha did. Elisha stepped up. He knew what he was worth, and he asked for it. And some of you are in that first pool today, you're sitting here having this fake humble saying that you're like, oh, I just, I'm just somebody who maybe if God might want to use me, shut up. You're here at North Central. You're about to step in the call of God. Own that mess. You know what I'm saying? So some of you might be in this place today to where you're saying, you know what? I, I, I need to own what God has for me, and I need to ask for twice, double. I need to ask for more. Others of you are in this next place because I love this. My favorite part of the story, when the chariot comes down and splits them apart, the mantle falls off of Elijah. It's like these chariots of fire and horses on fire. You know that was a gangster moment. They're coming out of heaven. They scoop up Elijah, and his mantle falls off. His mantle falls off. It's always awkward taking off your coat, but I'm going to do it, okay? Your mantle falls off, and it hits the ground. 
The thing about the mantle is that told everybody else what your identity was. Remember the story of Bartimaeus, how he was given a beggar's cloak so everybody knew that he was a beggar and he was safe to give to? Well, their cloak that you wore in that day determined your identity, and Elijah wore a prophet's cloak. And when he was taken to heaven, God made sure the prophet's cloak was left behind for Elisha. So not only did Elisha know what he was worth, and not only did he run his mouth like, I want to be twice what you are. I'm going to go change the world. I'm going to go do youth ministry. I'm going to go be an architect. I'm going to go be a lawyer. I'm going to go do this, and it's going to be amazing. And there's a mantle. God, I'm going to be the prophet. And he's like, there it is. Put your money where your mouth is. You better pick it up. And others of us are in this place today. We're looking at the mantle on the ground. We're looking at the cloak on the ground, knowing that if we pick that up, that we will never be the same again. That we can't ever go back to what we were. All of our excuses got to melt away because our future's there. We're so used to talking about the call that God might call you one day to pick up the call and actually walk forward with it. That's the thing. We're like, God, use me. Change my life. God, use me to witness to somebody. And then you're at Walmart at 11 p.m. and God's like, go talk to that lady. You're like, oh, now. You, right now? God, right now, I don't know right now, God, maybe I need to call my friend to get a little confirmation. Look, you don't need confirmation when God's giving you conviction, okay? You don't. You don't. And so here's Elisha. He knows what he's worth, and he says, I want twice what you got. And so God's like, cool, pick up the cloak. And he has all of his past behind him, the thing that he knows, and in front of him is the thing that he doesn't know. And many of us are in a place to where we're not fully stepping into the call of God in our life because our past is holding us back from our future. It's crazy. Jeremy Foster tells a story about uh, a lady who stopped at the stoplight and he rolls up behind her and he's also stopped behind her. And, as a, and he sees her and he's like, I know this is a lady because she's doing her makeup in the, in the rearview mirror. And when the light turns green, she sees the light turning green and she keeps doing her makeup. And so he's like, I just laid on the horn. Like, Beep. Not even like an angry Minnesotan, like, Wah, you know, I'm just like, toot toot, you know. And he said, the lady looks at me in the mirror, looks at the green light, and keeps doing her makeup. The light goes from green to red. He's like, I'm about to lose my salvation. And then finally the light turns green and she goes. And some of you, you are already angry for him. You know, you're like, I know, because so we, when we roll past people, I'm like a hands guy. I'm like, what are you doing, you know. I don't use the horn, but I'm like, yeah. And so he's like, he's like, then she looks at me, and then she takes off, and he's like, I was mad. And then God said, isn't it sad that somebody would let what's behind them hold them back from moving forward? And in the same respect, many of us are allowing what's behind us to hold us back from moving forward, to hold us back from picking up the cloak and from stepping out. You might be in this place, in this room, and trust me, every season of your life, every new season, you're going to have to answer these questions all over again. There's no, you, you never graduate from struggle. You never graduate from having to commit to God. You never graduate from telling God what you want. You never graduate from carrying the call of God. You just, it's just a new reality in every new season. And so here you are, you might be in a place to where you're saying, you know what? I need to own what God's made me. I need to step out and I need to own it and stop doubting. Some of you are like, you know what? I got an opportunity in front of me and I know if I pick it up, then I'm going to have to live according to it. Everybody's going to see me wearing the prophet's cloak. Everybody's going to see me wearing the mantle. And if I'm going to wear it, then I got to walk it. And some of you need to walk it. Some of you got to wear it and you got to walk it. And yet others of us are still stuck in another place. We like the swag that the anointing gives us, but we rarely step in the power that it has. That's why the Bible says that they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. 
They look godly, they smell godly, they sound godly, but my gosh, there's no godly power in them. Why? Because we love the swag more than we love the spirit. I just, yeah, I know, right? Tweet that. I just made that up. But that's the truth. He's in this place in his life to where he knows that he has to step out in faith. And notice what the Bible says. He picks up the mantle, but he just doesn't walk with the mantle and go find a bridge to walk around the, across the Jordan River. The Bible says that there's a school of prophets waiting on the other side, watching him pick up the cloak, watching him wear it, and watching him step up to the river. Understand that the very next thing that you're going to do after you own your calling, after you pick it up and step out with it, is stepping out in faith. You cannot please God with your anointing if you're not stepping out in faith. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. That's not just a cool, fun, philosophical statement. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. So when is the last time your devotions please God? When is the last time you're witnessing please God? Do you use faith to preach? Do you use faith to lead a small group? If you don't, then it doesn't please God. And this is the moment where he had to pick up the cloak and please God by faith and take it and hit that water. That's the moment. Some of you, you're frozen because you don't think you're worth anything. Others of you, you're frozen because that mantle's in front of you. And finally, others of you are frozen because you know the next step is a faith step and you don't know if you're enough to make it happen. Trust me, you're not, but God is. But God is. Don't just walk around with the cloak over your shoulders. Don't be satisfied with the cloak and forget about the reason you're wearing it. Don't be satisfied with a title or an office or a position one day. Why? Because power does not need a position. Anointing does not need to be announced. And influence does not need a platform. Don't spend your life chasing a cloak. Spend your life chasing a kingdom. And live accordingly in your life. As the worship band comes back up here today, I want to challenge you. To, to identify for yourself what area of my life am I in. Don't wait until after Christmas to get this straight. Don't. Don't wait until you date somebody, they break up with you, your heart is broken, Jesus puts it back together to make that decision. Okay? It's going to happen about 10 times. This is college, all right? What I want to challenge you to do today is to identify for yourself which one of the three areas do you need to step up in? Do you need to just own what God has given you and step out in the full strength of it and ask God for more? Are you in a place in your life to where now the rubber's about to meet the road and you got to step up and you got to pick up that mantle, you got to carry that anointing and now your walk has to change and your future has to change and your habits have to change and you know that you can never go back to where you were because everything ahead of you is different? Or are you in a place to where you know you're calling, you're carrying the anointing, you're walking in it, but you haven't stepped out in faith? What is that faith step in your life today? Because if you can make a habit this year of just stepping through these moments, stepping through these seasons and trusting God, then when you step into your ministry calling, whether it's in the church or the marketplace, you will have a habit of breaking through. Breakthrough is not a moment of distress. Breakthrough is a habit that you create by stepping up and stepping out and changing the game with the power of God. Amen? Amen. So all across this room, let's bow our heads one minute. And if you're in this place and you know what, and you say, you know what, Terry? I am in one of those places. I am in one of those places. I'm not going to ask you what place you're in because we only got a few seconds left. But you're saying, I am in one of those places. I want you just to slip in a hand, a hand in the air right now. Look, if you can't put a hand in the air at Bible college, you ain't going to do it anywhere else. So what's God saying to you? And right now, I want you to identify that moment that you're in, that moment, that season, that place that you're in. Identify it. 
and say, God, I'm willing to, one, step out and own what you have for me and stop playing the fake humble game. Two, God, I'm willing to take hold of that anointing and actually let it change the way I live and the way I walk. Or three, I'm going to step out in faith and do everything in faith and not move unless it requires faith. God, thank you. It's these three things that carry us into places of breakthrough. It's these three things that help us to identify our calling and our anointing. So Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for what you're doing in this place, what you're going to do in this year. I thank you that my ceiling is going to be the floor of these students. And I thank you, God, that they're going to publish a new way to do church, that revival is going to look different than it ever has before, that an outpouring of God is going to look different than it ever has before because the obedience in here is reckless like it's never been before. So God, I thank you and I praise you in your name. Amen. Awesome. Awesome, awesome.